0: Think about your life. Every day you wake up and fight to live in freedom and against fear. But Christ has already won the battle for our freedom. We didn't earn it. The battle was won when Jesus died on the cross. We don't deserve it. He gives us grace because of his great love for us. And our freedom was secured when Christ rose from the dead. The grace of God gives us freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom to live the life he calls us to. We aren't saved by trying harder. We aren't saved by trying to be good. Only Jesus can save us and set us free. So enjoy God's gift of grace in your life. Be at peace and live in freedom. Haven't you enjoyed having the choir and orchestra in third service? They're always in first and second. Yay, I love them in third. Jesus is the greatest man I know. God who came in flesh and dwelt among us. I love a lot of movie series, but the movie series that I really enjoy, have enjoyed the most, is Rocky. How many of you have ever seen a Rocky movie? A whole bunch of you have seen it. And it is all about Um, Rocky Balboa. This is a picture of Rocky Balboa, a fictional character. He's a boxer and he is the Italian stallion. Rocky Balboa. And the the Rocky movie I really enjoyed the most was Rocky IV because Rocky IV, he was uh, boxing against a Russian guy and I really wanted him to beat that Russian guy. Rocky IV was against a guy who's, who was a Russian guy named Drago. I mean, just the name sounds evil. Here's a picture of the two guys face-to-face with each other. Now, look at that. Drago, 6 feet 4 inches, 261 pounds of pure muscle. Rocky doesn't have a chance Except for the fact that the movie's name is Rocky, so maybe he does have a chance. So, we're watching the whole movie. You get to the end of the movie, and it's in, supposedly, Russia, and all of a sudden, all the Russian people are now cheering for Rocky. Rocky, Rocky, Rocky. And Rocky lands a punch on Drago and knocks him to the mat. And Rocky becomes the undisputed champion of the world. The undisputed champion of the universe is the man that rose from the grave on Easter Sunday morning and knocked Satan to the mat. And on that day, he defeated Satan and sin and death. He is God's great champion. There is no need he cannot meet. There is no sickness he cannot heal. There is no demon he cannot vanquish because he is God's great champion. And I want to talk to you about the greatest man who ever lived I want to talk to you about Jesus today. We are going through the book of Galatians together, deep dive in this book, and we have arrived at Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 29, in a series, How to Live in Freedom. So what does this passage of Scripture teach us about Jesus? Well, the first is this, that Jesus is God's great champion because he is the fulfillment of God's promise to bless the whole world. God made a promise that through the Messiah, He would bless all the nations of the world. Listen to what He says in Galatians chapter 3 verses 15 and 16. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or uh, or add to a human covenant that has been fully established, so it is in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now, what in the world is Paul talking about? Paul is Talking about a man that lived 4,000 years ago. You got to go back in time, 4,000 years into the Jewish Bible, which Christians call the Old Testament, and go back to a man whose name was Abraham. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him as righteousness. Abraham was a guy who loved God. And God Promised Abraham that through him, through his seed, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Notice how it goes in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3: And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Genesis chapter 22, verse 18 through your seed, and this is the verse that Paul is quoting, through your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now how is it possible that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham since Abraham would have not known most of the nations of the earth? I mean, during the time of Abraham there were people that lived in what we commonly know as South America and North America and Asia and Europe. And Abraham didn't know those guys were there. Abraham didn't have any impact on those guys. It's not Abraham that the promise was for. It was the seed of Abraham, and that promise is talking about the Messiah. God is saying that when the Messiah comes... The Messiah will be such a profound blessing. He will bless all the nations of the earth. And the Messiah came 2,000 years after the promise was given to Abraham. 2,000 years. First of all, the question, how did God know when he was talking to Abraham that 2,000 years later Jesus would come? How did he know that? Because God is above all time and space. He is not limited by it. God is the one that created time. He is the one that created space. And God is the master of it all. So think of it in these terms. For instance, right here, this is Abraham 4,000 years ago. Right here is Jesus, that's 2,000 years ago. And right here is us. When God was speaking to Abraham, he could look and see Jesus dying on the cross, and he could look and see you and I alive today. God is not limited by time. God sees all time, all at the same time. He sees everything. In fact, God sees every day that you're going to live and I'm going to live. He sees everything that we're going to do, and though he sees everything we're going to do and everything that we will accomplish or not accomplish in our life, he still loves us. Every sin that we will ever do, he sees right now, and yet he still loves us. And he still accepts us as his child. It took God 2,000 years after the promise to Abraham for the Messiah to come. Why did it take so long? I'm going to tell you, I've learned over the years two particular things about God and timing. Number one, God is in no hurry, God is not on Mark Hartman's timetable. Oh, how I wish he was. There are things that I want to have done right now, and they do not happen. I want it to be done right now, and still, God does not move. Why is this? Why does God take so long? Part of the reason is because God understands the importance of the process not just the end result. You see, most of the growing and the maturing and the developing in our life happen during the process, not just with an end result. And so God is moving and impacting and changing our life all the while that we're waiting, we're, why is taking God so long? Why is God not moving now? And all of the time in which all of this is taking place, God is changing, and us, and in fact, you and I change more during the process than we do when God answers it in the flesh. God understands that the process is so crucial, and so God waits. The second thing that I've learned about God is that God always fulfills His promises. He's made a promise to you, He will bring it to pass. May not be today, may not be when you want it to be, but it will come on time. God always fulfills His promises. And He fulfilled His promise to Abraham. The Messiah came, and though Jesus 2,000 years ago, didn't impact all of the nations at that moment. Today, he has. You cannot pick a country in the world that there are not at least some people in that country who have already come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. All the nations of the earth have been blessed and will be blessed more and more as time goes by and every person, every people group on the face of this earth are presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's promise is sure. Disneyland is located in Anaheim, California. And in Anaheim, California, there is also another amusement park that is called the Knott's Berry Farm. When uh, Kathy and I are Two kids or two boys were growing up and they were small children. We took a trip to Los Angeles and one day we went to Disneyland and the next day we went to Knott's Berry Farm. And it was a lot of fun. I rode all the rides that my little guys rode. And when they became teenagers, I rode all the rides that my teenage boys rode. I'm talking about monster roller coasters. I am talking about any I'm talking about the thing that takes you up 2 miles and then drops you like a rock. I'm talking about these kinds of things and I did them all and I want to tell you why I did them all. Not because I liked them. Because I don't like roller coasters and I don't like to be dropped 2 miles. I went on every one of them because I was trying to prove to my two boys that I am a man. That's why I did it. But now they're grown, and now I got grandkids, and I'm not going on any of them. I'm not. I'm not going to go on any of them. Why? Because being a man is my son's problem with my, t- my grandkids. It's not my problem. At Knott's Berry Farm, There is a ride in which you go up 148 feet and when they got to the top, it broke. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was going to happen to me all of my kids growing up years, but it didn't, but I thought it would, but it happened and this is the ride right here. Now, this picture right here and now that's not so bad really, you're in a cabin, right? And there are 20 people in this Cabin way up. Seven of those are children, and it breaks, and nothing they could do could bring that thing back down again. So what do you do? I mean, they're they're safe, they're okay up there, but you got to get them down sometime, right? And so what do you do? Well, they called for the firemen to come, and uh, they didn't have a ladder, 148 feet tall. And so they had to use a hoist that, I don't know whether it was on a a big crane or whether it was on a helicopter, but this firefighter was on a rope and they took him right to the doorway that you saw just a moment ago and he opened the door and went in. Now his job is to build faith in all 20 people to be able to get on the rope and to go down. So he's trying to encourage everybody, all the adults, listen, this is not a big problem at all because we're, gonna, we're going to strap you in. You'll be as safe as you can be. It's going to be fun going down. You'll just, it'll be like being on another ride here. At, so he's trying, to get, he's trying to explain everybody, give everybody faith. But for the little kids, that was a bigger challenge. There's a little boy named Luke, seven years of age, and the firefighter looked into Luke's eyes and he said, Luke, I really like you. And I would never do anything that would cause you to be hurt. And I want you to trust me because. I will put you on my lap and I will go down the rope with you and I will hold on real tight and I will not let you go and you will not get hurt. Luke, do you trust me? And little Luke, seven years old, said yes. And he climbed into this firefighter's arms and they jumped off and we're brought down. Look at a picture of Luke right there. There's little Luke, and he's going down. It took him this long. It's now dark, and got him down. You know what? Firefighters have got to be the bravest guys in the whole world. I mean, every time anything bad happens, it's the firefighters. Don't you appreciate them? Yeah. Jesus looks into your eyes and says to you, I really like you. In fact, I love you, and I'll take good care of you. I'm asking you if you would get into my arms and trust me. I will bring you through whatever it is you're going through safe and sound, I'll watch out for you. I will help you, and I will bring you home safely. Would you trust me? God's call in your and my life is to be willing to trust him. Jesus is God's great champion. The second thing that we're taught in this passage is simply this. Jesus is God's great champion, because He has brought our Heavenly Father and us together. Now, I'm going to need you to let me get a little technical right now about something. I'm going to ask you to give me some grace and let me deal with something that's a little bit hard to understand, and you're going to have to think with me. Have you noticed as we've been going through this study together that we've been learning all kinds of doctrines? It's, it is amazing. A couple of weeks ago, we learned substitutionary atonement. And, and last week, we looked at the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and sanctification. It's amazing what this book has been teaching us. And right now, I need to teach you something a little technical that I need you to really think through with me. As Christ followers... We don't observe the Jewish feasts and laws and rituals as a way of God saving us. There's the Ten Commandments, and we respect the Ten Commandments, and that do help us to better understand right from wrong, but the Ten Commandments don't save us. None of these things that we find in the Old Testament save us. If you're ever invited by a Jewish family to come and share in a feast, one of the Jewish feast celebrations, do it because it is a beautiful thing. And every one of these things point directly to Jesus, but they don't save us. I have shared with you that amazingly in every, almost every church, not every church i pastor, but in almost every church, and including in this church, I have had people that have come to me and said, we should be worshiping God on Saturday because it's one of the commandments to worship God on the Sabbath, and we know that's Saturday, not Sunday. And we are doing wrong by worshiping on Sunday instead of Saturday. I really appreciate People that feel that strongly about it, I really do. I think it comes from a good heart, but they're just simply wrong. The truth is, all of these laws and even the Ten Commandments and rules of the Old Testament and feast days of the Old Testament, Jesus has fulfilled and now they have passed away for those who are Christ followers. The Old Testament laws were intended to be a temporary guardian. Jesus fulfilled and completed the purpose that the law was given to accomplish, and now we are under Christ through faith. And where do I come up with that? How do I come to that conclusion? Well, in the passage we're looking at, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to Abraham to show people their sins. The whole idea of the Ten Commandments was to define right and wrong, to make it clearer. But now that has passed away. Verse 23, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, sort of to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. Verse 24 says, the law was our guardian until, until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. How could it be any clearer? So we worship on Sunday simply because the apostles, all Jewish, the early church, all Jewish, worshipped on Sunday in honor of the day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we're also to worship on Wednesday and on Friday and on Monday and on Tuesday and on Saturday and every day of the week we worship God every day of the week. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19 says, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added Because of transgressions until the seed, who is the Messiah, to whom the promise referred, had come. Do you see it? So what is Paul teaching us in this technical, in this hard to understand section of this passage? He's teaching us three things. First of all, God made a promise to Abraham that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Through his seed, who is the Messiah. Second of all, 430 years later, God gave the law to Moses to be a temporary guardian to help define right and wrong until the Messiah came. Third, Jesus the Messiah came as the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. We are now saved by faith in Christ alone and absolutely nothing else. All three of these things he is teaching us in this passage of scripture. Now in two of these verses, verses 19 and 20, he uses one key word talking about Moses, mediator. And he says that Moses was the temporary mediator between God and the Jewish people. But that God sent his son Jesus to be the permanent mediator between us and God. The Bible says in First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6... For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. How many people was Jesus a ransom for? It was all people. He gave Jesus as a ransom for all people, the testimony given in its proper time. A mediator is someone who puts one hand in the hand of a person, and then the other hand in the hand of another person, and then he brings the two hands together. There was no way you and I could ever approach a holy, righteous God. There was no way that you and I would ever be good enough to be able to come into the presence of God. No matter how many good deeds we did, no matter how hard we tried, you and I could never be good enough to get to heaven. We needed a Savior. It was the only chance we have. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be that Savior, to die our death on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sin, and then to rise again from the grave and offer us the gift of eternal life. And he says if by faith we will accept Jesus Christ into our heart. He will save us and forgive us and cleanse our life and begin to change us from the inside out. He'll come to live inside of us and begin to change us from the inside out to be like Jesus Christ. He reserves a place in heaven for us, And you and I will spend eternity with God in heaven because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He took our hand. And he took the hand of his heavenly father. And he brought these two hands together. And he reconciled us with God. The the word reconcile means to restore the friendship. We have become a friend of God, just like we sing in the song. I am a friend of God. It ought to shock us every time we sing it. It ought to amaze us every time we sing it. How in the world could I ever be a friend of God? It's called Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And he has brought our hand and the hand of our heavenly Father, and he has brought us together. This is what Jesus did for us. On January the 26th, on 2001, there was a man named Siko Sakamoto, a Japanese guy who was working on a subway. But as he was working on the subway platform, he accidentally lost his balance and he fell onto the tracks. And when he fell onto the tracks... He got injured. No one was moving an inch to rescue him. But there was a Korean student that was in Tokyo who was at the university wanting to get a degree. His name, Lee Soo Hoon. And Lee jumped off the platform and onto the tracks. A Korean student to save... A Japanese man. He tried his best but then all of a sudden here comes the train and they could not get up on the platform in time and both of these men perished. When it hit the news in Tokyo that a Korean student had jumped onto the tracks to rescue a Japanese man. Thousands of Japanese began to talk about how ridiculous the bigotry of the Japanese toward the Koreans. You see, every country, every group of people have somebody that they hate. Somebody that they have to somehow figure out a way to be better than. And in Japan, the nationality that there is bigotry toward are Koreans. The prime minister of Japan went on television and said i have been hateful toward koreans and now that this has happened i have to rethink my bigotry i have to change my way it took the sacrifice of a Korean student to open the hearts of a nation. It took the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to change our hearts, to show us our need, and to replace the hatred with love for other people. It is the work of Jesus Christ. Reconciliation rarely occurs without sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice was His sacrifice for us. Jesus is God's great champion because He has brought us and God together. There's a third thing in the passage and it's this. Jesus is God's great champion because He alone has made us all one family of God. Galatians 3, verses 26 to 29, For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Jesus has brought us together into a new united community called the family of God. We become a part of the family of God, not because we're born, but because we're born again. There are some who say, well, we're all God's children, but the reality is that's not true. We are all God's creation. That is true. But to be God's children, you got to be born again. We come into the family of God through faith in Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 then says this. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. This verse can be understood in two different ways. The first way is that it's talking about spirit baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happens when we give our heart to Christ. We talked about that last week. We we talked about this whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit last week, and one of those aspects is called the baptism in, by, and with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit putting us into the family of God, into the body of Christ. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. And both of these things happen at the very moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. But this passage can also be applicable to the idea of water baptism, spirit baptism and water baptism. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? Have you ever invited Jesus Christ into your heart and committed your heart by faith to Christ? And then i got another question for you. Since you've accepted Christ as your Savior, have you been baptized? by water have you been baptized? I find that there are so many people that have accepted Christ as Savior but never followed Him in believer's baptism. And oftentimes, it's because they didn't understand how important baptism is to Jesus. So, why is it that a person is baptized once they come to know Christ as Savior. Well, part of the reason is that it is our identification with Christ, and Jesus commanded us to do it. It is a way in baptism to identify with Christ. It's as though it is saying to everyone that is watching this person be baptized, I know Jesus is my Savior, and I want anybody and everybody to know it. It's my identification with Christ. The second reason is because it is a statement of faith of, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because it is acting that out. It is going under the water as though it's the burial, coming up out of the water as though it's the resurrection. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And third of all, my old life is dead and buried before I came to know Christ, and I have raised to have a new life in Christ. And it is a statement of that truth. All three things. Have you been baptized since you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? There may be some say, well, no, but I was baptized as a baby, and so it's not necessary. Well, actually, when you're reading Scripture... You just look it up yourself. Every single person in the Bible that gets baptized is a person who, of their own free will, their own volition, has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Knowing what they're doing, they gave their heart to Christ and then they were baptized. And I don't doubt that being baptized as a baby has significance, has significance in your life, and I don't doubt that at all. Add to the significance an obedience, a following in believer's baptism, now that you've accepted Jesus as Savior, since that is what Jesus has asked you to do. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge everybody in this room. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, but you have not been baptized since you accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to encourage you, in just a few moments when this service is done, go to a room we call Next Step Center. It's out in the commons area. And talk to a minister, How here, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but I've never been baptized. What do I do next? I want to encourage you to follow in obedience to what Jesus said to do. There is another statement that is made in this passage that I think is pretty significant in Galatians 3.28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? It means that in God's eyes, Jews and Gentiles are equal. Slaves and free are equal in that first century time. And male and female are equal what does it mean? It means that men are not better than women. God does not see men better than women, and Jew is not better than Gentile or Gentile better than Jew. And you can take these words and here is it here it is that the ground around the cross of Jesus Christ is equal, is level. And every person around that cross of Jesus Christ is viewed equally in the eyes of Almighty God. That's what it means. There was a man, an old man that was a very wealthy guy, he had millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. It was just absolutely amazing how much money this guy had and he loved art. And he would go all over the world and he would find the most incredible works of art from famous painters and he would buy those works of art and bring them back and display them in his house. His wife passed away, and they had had a son, and the son grew up to be a young man, and he began to nurture his son in in art and how beautiful it is, and his son would go with him on excursions all over the world, and they would buy beautiful works of art. The country that they lived in went to war, and his son was drafted into the army, and went to war. Within a matter of only a couple of weeks after he went to the front lines, his son was shot and killed. His son was killed trying to rescue another soldier. A soldier had been shot, and he was in a precarious situation, and so this young man, such courage, went out into the the firing field, and he grabbed hold of his friend and put him on his back, and he was carrying him back, and just before he made it all the way back, someone shot him in the back and killed him. The soldier he rescued lived, but this young man died. The old man received a telegraph that his son was dead, and the light went out of his heart. On Christmas morning, there was a knock at his door, and when he opened the door, there was a man in full uniform, and he said to the old man, I am the man that your son saved. And I have a present for you. Would it be okay if I came into your house? And he said, Please come in. It was a large present. Large gift, and it was wrapped, and he gave it to the old man, and the old man unwrapped it, and there was a portrait of his son that this soldier had painted. He wasn't a great painter, he was good enough though that he had captured the essence of this young man's face. And the old man could see his son in that picture. It wasn't a great work of art, but it was more valuable than any other piece of art he owned. And he treasured this portrait of his son for the rest of his life. The old man died and now all of his art went up for auction and people from all over the world came to the auction. I mean, this guy was famous. He had an amazing catalog of art, and they came from everywhere to the auction. When the auction started, the auctioneer said, the first piece of art that we must sell is the picture of this man's son. Well, nobody was interested in that. I mean, it was nobody that Painted it and didn't do all that great of a job at, as far as they're concerned. They saw, I'm not interested in that. And the auctioneer said, We're not moving forward until this picture is purchased. Well, there was a man that was there that was a friend of the old man, and he thought, you know, out of just out of love for him, and he raised his hand and said, I offer a hundred dollars for this piece of art. And the auctioneer went going once, going twice, sold for $100. And they brought that picture of this boy to the guy that had paid $100. And then the auctioneer got back on the stand and he announced to everyone, the auction is now over. What? What? What do you mean the auction is over? We've come from across the world to come to this auction. We want to buy some of these paintings. What are you talking about? And the auctioneer said, because in the will of the old man, he said, whoever gets the son gets it all. And I'm here to tell you that is exactly what God says to you and me. Whoever gets the son gets everything God has, gets all of heaven. When you come to know Christ as your Savior, you become filthy rich because now you own all of heaven. Everything that God has created, he gives to you as his child. Give your heart to Christ. Christ. Receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and he will forgive you of your sins and he will change you from the inside out and he will make you ready for heaven and he has reserved a place in heaven for you and when you go to heaven, you own it all. Give your heart to Jesus Christ because when you have the Son, you have everything God has. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity to come and give our heart to Christ, to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And, oh, God, we pray that you would move in hearts today to make that decision. I want Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. And today, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart and save me and change me. Cleanse me and make me right with God. God, move in hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.